Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Jesus' resurrection happened not to be one moment in a story, but because death was the barrier to God grabbing hold of us. Death was the barrier to God healing the world. So the problem with a lot of religion is that it's it's very destructive in the subtle ways that it gives us the message that really finding God is our job. There's so much of religion that acts as if Jesus never actually rose from the dead. That acts as if Jesus never actually hung on a cross. The powerful story of scripture over and over again from the opening words to the final amen is that God has come after the world. Yet some of us still linger with this destructive notion that God is so very far from us. That really God has done something that means our job is now to go find God. In the themes of the scriptures that we heard today, I would like to remind us of a very different story. So in the first story, we have Saul on the road to Damascus. And in this story, who is it exactly that Jesus had to find and overcome? A belligerent, self-righteous murderer. I think some of the most interesting words that we heard this morning from Acts was the opening line when it says that, Saul still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. Still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. Saul was not on his way to worship the Almighty. Saul thought he was worshiping the Almighty. But what he was actually doing was that he was on his way to continue his terrorizing of Jesus' followers. And Jesus found him on the, road to, on, on the road to Damascus, on the road where he was going to kill Jesus' followers. And God blinded him with light and asked Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And do you remember what Saul's answer was. Who are you? He didn't even know who the one was who was encountering him. 
And the voice that thunders says, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. I love how the the story continues. And in the lectionary, some Sundays there are what's called optional readings. And this next part where Ananias enters the story is an optional reading, but we had to read it. Because I love how that, that Jesus had to not only come this murdering Saul, he also had to overcome Ananias. He says, Ananias, go find this Saul. And Saul says, are you serious? I mean, Ananias says, are you serious? This is the one who kills us. Sometimes, perhaps, the hardest ones for Jesus to overcome are his own well-intended followers. And Jesus says, I've heard about this guy. He's dangerous. And Saul, God tells Ananias, go find Saul. I want you to hear just one thing from this story today, and there's a lot to be heard. We tend to think that we must find our way to Jesus. Jesus finds us. You don't have to make your way to Jesus. Jesus is coming for you. Hold on to your hat. What we do is surrender. What we do is let ourselves be caught. What we do is say yes. On Jesus' way to the resurrection, Jesus went to the great depths to find, heal, and restore all of creation. In Psalm 30, the psalm that we prayed this morning in our litany, the psalmist says, God has lifted me up. And the way the translation we read this morning, the NRSV, it says, God has brought me up from the dead. That word dead is the word sheol. It means grave. In some contexts, it means hell. It's it's an echo of what we pray in the the Apostles' Creed when we say that Jesus went down into hell. On Easter Sunday, I showed you one of the the icons of the resurrection descent into Hades, and I have another version here. There's lots of understandings about what exactly Jesus was doing after he prayed his final prayer on the cross and said, it is finished, and before he rose and walked out of that tomb. One of the oldest understandings is that what Jesus did is that Jesus went into the very depths of Sheol, into the depths of Hades, into the depths of what we might understand as hell. And there's lots of variations here, and there's lots of things that are hard to be very certain about. And Sheol in the Old Testament is not exactly the same as the New Testament concept of hell, but it bleeds into it, and it gives us the foundation for how we understand this language. This is what 1 Peter chapter 3 says, and it is one of the hardest sections of the New Testament to understand. And so I'm not acting like... This is massively clear, but just hear 
these words. For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also, by this Spirit, he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Jesus, by the Spirit, descending and preaching to the spirits in prison. It's my understanding with much of the church that on the days between the cross and Easter morning, Jesus was not playing checkers. Jesus was not taking a long nap. Jesus was doing battle. Jesus, as this icon, the story this icon tells, was pulling Adam and Eve and Moses and Deborah and Rebecca and Joshua out of death. Jesus was conquering the very things that held humanity captive. Have you ever awakened in the middle of the night of a dream where, because I have several times, where your children or your spouse are in great trouble. For me, it's a murky dream, but it's something like Wyatt or Seth or Miska are on the other side of, of some kind of uh, glassy water. And you're going through the water trying to get to them because they need your help. They need to be rescued. But you're getting bogged down and you can't get through and you're, and you're trying and then things start wrapping around and you're trying to get to them. Have, have you had any kind of dream like this? You're trying to get to the one that you love because they need your help. And in that moment, you would do absolutely anything to just reach that one who is there. I think this is exactly what Jesus is doing in the cross and the resurrection. Jesus is going into the very depths of Hades. And one of the things I love in this picture, uh, it actually got chopped off at the bottom. You can look it up. And there's a small and shriveled, shriveled figure underneath where Jesus stands with his feet that have holes from the cross and is a shriveled up creature and it's Satan. It's death. Because when Jesus is alive and powerful, death is tiny and small and defeated. Every hell, however we understand that reality, is not outside the reach of God's mercy and healing. Whoever descends into hell, whoever that might be, the truth is that God in Jesus Christ has been there first. No matter how far we go, no matter how hard we fight, no matter how much we curse the God who loves us, the fact is our God in Christ loves us, even into the depths. Elder Sophony, an old Christian teacher, said, You may be certain that as long as someone is in hell, Christ will remain there with him. 
whatever we believe of hell, it is not outside the mercy of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the conqueror of death and hell. Whatever death you are experiencing, it is not outside the realm of God's kindness and mercy. You are not alone. God is in the midst of your hell with you. We do not find God. God finds us, even in hell. We don't make our way to resurrection. Resurrection is already hounding us. Jesus' resurrection is the thunderous pronouncement that there is no corner of the cosmos where God's love and healing do not reach. Jesus' resurrection is the absolute assurance that there is no person who has ever been or who can ever be who is outside the realm of the dying, loving, transforming love of Jesus Christ. So, there's one more story we have to point to. In this final story in the gospel reading, when Jesus came after Peter, because we've been reading along, we know where we are in the story, and Peter is the one who, outside of Judas, perhaps, had the most shameful failure in the gospels. And they're out there catching fish, but they're not catching any fish. What else do you do when your whole world has crumbled and you've been an absolute failure? And the one thing you said you wouldn't do is exactly what you did. You just go and do what you know to do, which was fishing. And Jesus calls out, you're not catching any fish, are you? And they answer, no. And Jesus says, well, try casting on the other side. And I, I can just imagine them at this point not knowing who was calling out to them from the beach and being like, are you kidding me? We've tried it all. But they haul in a great load. Peter realizes it's the Lord, and he jumps into the water. And the scripture says that Jesus has a charcoal fire going. He's preparing breakfast for them. There's only two times in the New Testament that charcoal is, men are, is mentioned. The first time it's mentioned is when Peter is around a charcoal file in the courtyard and he denies Jesus three times. The second time it's mentioned is when Jesus is essentially recreating the same moment and he has a charcoal fire. But this Jesus is there to feed him. Three times Peter denies, and three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? There is no way, no way we read this story and say Peter was finding Jesus. Jesus found Peter. The great problem is that in all our activity around the kingdom of Christ, much of which, not all, but much of which I absolutely agree with, 
things like spiritual practices and a life of prayer and being attentive to God. But somehow all of these things have gotten so twisted in our human hands that we think they are the means by which we find God. That they are the means by which we prove ourselves to God. And we get hung up with this massive guilt and this heaviness which actually destroys the very thing we're trying to do. I just want to, in this moment, remind you, you don't do a single thing to find Jesus. It is not your responsibility. Jesus finds you. And then there's the question of what do we do when Jesus finds us? Perhaps our great battle is quite different than what we thought it was. Perhaps it's not at all to add another thing on. Perhaps it's to surrender to the love that is surrounding us and surrounding us and surrounding us. A friend of mine named Sean Smucker wrote this short reflection or memory about a man that I too dearly love. He's been very meaningful to me. He's been dying of lung cancer for over a decade. We thought he'd be gone long ago. I was on the phone with him a few months ago and you could hear the, the oxygen machine in the back and him trying to catch his breath. The man stood in the middle of the lecture room, haggard and breathing oxygen through a small plastic tube perched under his nose. When he paused, we could hear that gentle wheezing in the microphone. The room was overflowing so that many who had come to hear him sat on the floor behind him or at his feet at the front or stood in the corners or listened from the hall once they st stopped letting people in. This man, Walt Wangerin, author of some of my favorite books, gave a long, wide-ranging talk that was part sermon, part poetry, part creative reading. He told us the story of his cancer diagnosis, the various reactions of his children, how one of them vanished into sadness, and what it was like to journey into this wilderness, a place the Bible referred to in the original languages of the Old Testament as a, quote, nothing in a nowhere. And when I die, he said in a gentle voice, I will become that nothing in a nowhere. Sobs broke out at various places in the crowd as we contemplated the death of this precious man. The silence was a blanket. There was loud sniffling as we pulled back tears. But then, Walt continued, in that deep darkness, Jesus will call out, Walt, and I will be. It is true of our future and it is true of today. Jesus is calling out. And he's calling out your name. There is not a single person in this room, and I do not care your story. There is not a person in this room that Jesus is not walking out of the grave and walking toward you and speaking your name. And can I plead with you? Can I plead with you not to turn away from that name? Because it is life. It is life. Would you pray with me?
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.